there's no better life, there's no better love than the one which your son Jesus Christ has given us and proven on the cross for us. There is no better wisdom than God's wisdom. This is why you ask in James 3 verse 15, it talks about we must submit ourselves to God. Submission. That's what we're learning today. Because we want to submit to you and you alone. And we want to find wisdom which and find in you and you alone. As we're going to listen to this sermon today, God, I pray that you speak truth to our hearts. Speak your wisdoms to our hearts so we can be the church that you called us to be. Not the one that we wish or we want to be, but the one that you asking of us. I pray that you anoint your brother, your servant, Brother Dwayne, as he's just going to lay it out to us. May we stay focused and attentive so we can learn and grasp what it is you want us to know about you today. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your blessings. And thank you for this church. I pray and ask all those blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Glad you're here this morning. If you have your Bible, you can turn to James chapter 3 this morning. James chapter 3. And we'll be looking at verses 13 through 18 of James chapter 3 and verses 1 through 3 of James chapter 4 this morning. So far, through the book of James, we've uh, talked about a faith that works. We talked about the fact that James makes it very clear that our faith should result in obedience. That we should be a doer of the word and not just a hearer of the word. And last week we talked about the need to watch our tongues. Because the words we use give a great indication of the condition of our heart. And this morning as we continue through James, we're going to see what it means to have true wisdom. Because being wise is not the same as being smart. Wisdom is not the same as having knowledge. Because knowledge is simply the information storehouse of facts or memories or experiences that we can recall. But the Greek word for wisdom is sophos. And sophos is the ability to judge correctly and to follow the best course of action based on knowledge and understanding. So wisdom is the right use of knowledge. It's the application of knowledge. And I just want to share some examples of wisdom from the mouths of children. One child said, never trust a dog to watch your food. Another one said, when your dad is mad at you and asks you, do I look stupid, don't answer him. He also said, never tell your mom her diet is not working. One child said, when your mom is mad at your dad, don't let, him, don't let her brush your hair. One child said, stay away from prunes. I wonder how he figured that one out. And finally, a child said, never hold a dustbuster and a cat at the same time. So there's a lot of wisdom that we can gain from children. But we can also learn a lot of wisdom from Scripture, which should be the ultimate source of our wisdom. And one particular person that we can learn from in Scripture is King Solomon. 
King Solomon refers to him as the wisest king that has ever lived and will ever live in 1 Kings 3.12. Because Solomon was given the opportunity to ask for anything that he wanted by God. And he could have asked for many things. He could have asked for beauty. He could have asked for wealth. He could have asked for a stronger army. But above all those things, King Solomon chose wisdom. And we may ask ourselves, why did King Solomon choose wisdom? Because he knew that if he was going to be the ruler that God wanted him to be, if he was going to be the wisest ruler of the people of God, he needed God's wisdom because his own wisdom wasn't going to be sufficient. So for him to be faithful, for him to be the king God wanted him to be, he needed the wisdom of God. And if we as believers are going to be found faithful, if we are going to be a doer of the word, if we're going to watch our tongues, if we're going to be who God wants us to be, we must live our lives with the wisdom of God, being able to discern what is true and what is right. And there are two types of wisdom that James refers to. He refers to earthly wisdom and godly wisdom. And let me be clear, these are not the same. Because earthly wisdom is wisdom of the world. Earthly wisdom ignores God and opposes God. But godly wisdom is true wisdom. Godly wisdom is the wisdom of the word. And godly wisdom starts with the fear of God and it is all about God. Proverbs 8.10 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What the author is saying of Proverbs here is that the, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, is a healthy fear. That means that we are in reverence of God, that we are in awe of God for who He is, and that we should be obedient to God out of our respect for God. And when we are in awe of God, and we are obedient to God, and we follow His wisdom, we will make the right choices, and we will protect ourselves from the consequences of our foolishness. But the only way we can make the right choices The only way you and I can have a faith that works is by following God's wisdom, true wisdom, and not the world's wisdom. And my purpose this morning is to describe for you true wisdom and for you to evaluate your life and determine if the life you are living is based on the wisdom of God or the wisdom of the world. So let's read James 3, starting in verse 13 and going through chapter 4, verse 3. It says this, James writes, Who is wise and understanding among you? He should show his works by good conduct with wisdom's gentleness. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't brag and lie in defiance of the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every kind of evil. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, without favoritism and hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What is the source of wars and the fights among you? Don't they come from the cravings that are at war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly so that you may spend it on your desires for pleasure. So from this passage, I want to share with you three things this morning that true wisdom is. 
The first thing is this. True wisdom is displayed by, conly, by godly conduct. True wisdom is displayed by godly conduct. James asked the question in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? He is asking his readers if they think they are wise. He's asking them if they think they have great insight into spiritual matters to come forward and make it known so that the legitimacy of their claim can be verified. He is making it clear it is one thing to say we are wise, but it's another thing to show it. Believe it or not, I have done some foolish things in my life. I know that's hard for many of you to believe. I put my finger in a light socket. I wasn't two, I was in college. That was foolish. Don't do it. It hurts. I've done some other foolish things. I've shared my story before of putting my hands under the deck of a lawnmower with rotating blades. That is not wise. I'm going to tell on my wife a little bit. A few years ago, we decided it would be a good idea to move our refrigerator in our kitchen to our basement downstairs. Just the two of us. Well, we got it to the door of the basement that leads down to the stairs. That's as far as we could get it, and the refrigerator got stuck. We did the only thing a wise person would do. I started to jump over the refrigerator and pull it down, but that wouldn't have been wise because I'd been crushed between the refrigerator and the basement wall down the stairs. So we decided to cover it with blankets and push the refrigerator down the stairs. You know what? It worked. No one was injured, and the refrigerator is still working to this day as far as I know. But that is not a wise way to, to move a refrigerator. And I could share some other foolish things that, that I've done, but, but based on these actions, if someone was to examine my life, no matter how wise I said I was, they would say I was foolish, and I would have no grounds to argue. Why? Because my conduct did not prove I was wise. My conduct proved otherwise. You see, it's the same in our lives as a believer. We just can't say we're wise. We have to prove it. And how do we show that we have God's wisdom? James gives us the answer in verse 13. He says, by our good life or by our conduct, including our words. And notice, this sectional wisdom is right after his section on the need to tame our tongue. And what James wants to make very clear is that we show God's wisdom by living a life of obedience. We show God's wisdom by being a doer of his word. We show God's wisdom by living out our faith. James says, let him show by his conduct that he has wisdom. And that should sound very familiar as, as in James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. James talked about how we are to show our faith by our works. And if our works don't, doesn't uh, prove that we have faith, we don't have faith. So just as it is impossible to show that we have faith without works, it is impossible to show that we have godly wisdom without godly conduct. In 1 Peter 2.12, Peter wrote, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. For a follower of Christ, if you have good wisdom, you will demonstrate godly conduct. 
You see, we can say that we have all the knowledge of God's Word that we want. We can memorize as many scriptures as we want. But if we don't apply what we know, if we don't apply what we've learned, if we don't apply what we've been taught, then we lack wisdom. Because it's not about what we know, it's about what we do with what we know. It is acts of obedience that make up the good conduct of one who is wise. But there's another caveat to godly wisdom that James mentions in these first few verses because it's just not about doing good works. It's just not about doing the right thing. But it's also doing good works and the right thing the right way. He says we're to do it with gentleness and with humility because we can do the right things the wrong way or for the wrong reason. You see, we can give, but maybe not cheerfully. We can serve but maybe not willingly. We can forgive, but maybe begrudgingly. You see, we can always do the right thing, but it may not be the right way or for the right reason. And James says true wisdom produces good conduct, and good conduct produces gentleness or humility or meekness. The The word James uses there for gentleness, or some translations may say meekness, that's the same word for, for humility. Because oftentimes we correlate gentleness and humility with weakness. But biblically speaking, this is not the case at all. The Greek word for gentleness or meekness is protetai. And it refers to a submissive spirit opposed to arrogance and one who is not self-seeking. It refers to power under control. It means harness strength that describes a horse that has been broken. And even though that horse has been broken, it still has the power it once had. You see, gentleness is not weakness, but rather refers to exercising God's strength in our lives by living our lives under His control. And to be gentle, to be meek, meek means we need to think of others first. It means we need to be patient with others. We need to practice self-control. We need to be confident in who we are in Christ. And we don't need to intimidate others or bully others to make ourselves feel better or make ourselves feel strong. You see, the person who demonstrates gentleness is not a doormat for the desires of others, but controls and overpowers the natural human tendency to be arrogant and self-assertive. And the greatest example of gentleness is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus was meek. Jesus was gentle. Jesus demonstrated power under control. 1 Peter 2, 20-23. Peter writes, For what credit is there if you endure when you sin or are beaten, but when you do good and suffer, if you endure, it brings favor with God. For you are called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When reviled, he did not revile in return. When suffering, he did not threaten, but committed himself to the one who judges justly. You see, even on the cross, Jesus demonstrated gentleness. Jesus demonstrated power under control. And like Jesus, we can be strong and gentle or humble at the same time. And true wisdom, godly wisdom, is just not what we know, it's how we live. Someone said wisdom is not tested by schools. Wisdom cannot be passed from one having it to another not having it. Wisdom is of the soul, is not susceptible to proof. It is its own 
reproof. You see, wisdom that is from God and honors God is the quality that every believer should desire to have, and it's the proof of God's wisdom in our lives. How you live your life is proof of whether or not you have God's wisdom in your life. The second thing is this. True wisdom is distinctive from its ungodly counterpart. You see, counterparts are supposed to be equal. And God intended for earthly wisdom and godly wisdom to be equal. However, because sin entered the world in Genesis chapter 3, earthly wisdom became godless. And James describes for us in verse 14 what earthly wisdom looks like. He said it's bitter envy, it's selfish ambition. And he says if a person claims to be wise but has bitter envy and selfish ambition in their heart, that person is living a lie. They're claiming to be wise but conducting themselves in a way that denies that claim. And bitter envy is actually means zealous jealousy. It describes a determined desire to promote one's opinion at the exclusion of the opinion of others. It's describing one who thinks they're always right. It's describing a person who thinks their opinion is the only one that matters. There's a shirt that says, it's okay if you disagree with me, I can't force you to be right. That's a great example of bitter envy. And that should not be evident in the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. He also mentioned selfish ambition. It depicts a person who tries to promote a cause in an unethical manner. It's willing to be divisive, to promote a personal viewpoint. It's willing to do whatever it takes to be heard for personal gain, for power, prestige. It has no regard for others. And this is how our world operates. If you look at our systems of the world, this is how they operate. This is how our educational system operates, our business world. This is how politics operate. And oftentimes, even in churches, selfish ambition exists. You see, if we demonstrate these characteristics in our lives, then we are guilty of having earthly wisdom. And James says this is nothing to boast about, because to boast about it is a lie and is to deny the truth. You see, when we boast we have wisdom but don't actually show godly wisdom by being envious and selfish, we are a walking contradiction. We are lying about what true wisdom is. And we may have wisdom, but it's not biblical wisdom. It's the wisdom of the world. And in verse 15, James gives us three descriptions of worldly wisdom. He says it's earthly Meaning, giving the action it produces, is does, it does not come from God. It's not of God. He says it's sensual. That's the Greek word sukikos. That means natural, of, of the flesh. It's the kind of wisdom we have by default. It's the result of our fallen nature. And it means that one is, if, if, is demonstrating earthly wisdom. They are living out of their sin nature and they're not living out of their spiritual nature. You see, sensual also means based on feelings. And we need to remember that feelings are not always right. Following our feelings instead of our faith will get us in a whole lot of trouble if we're not careful. He also described it as demonic, meaning that Satan is the source of worldly wisdom. And we wonder why our world and our nation and our communities and our families our schools are in the condition they're in 
why they're broken and they're in a mess, because we've chosen to follow the world's wisdom over God's wisdom. Examples of worldly wisdom versus godly wisdom are this. Just a few examples. Godly, I mean, worldly wisdom says there is no God. Godless evolution is how life came to be. Godly wisdom says there's only one God, and he created the world. Earthly wisdom says there is no absolute truth, that truth is relative. That in and of itself is a contradiction. Godly wisdom says there is absolute truth. And absolute truth is God's word in Jesus Christ himself. Earthly wisdom says there is more than two genders. There is no male or female gender anymore. And you get to determine the gender you are. Godly wisdom is this. God created only two genders, male and female. And who he created you to be is who he wants you to be. Earthly wisdom says abortion is okay. Godly wisdom says God is the only one who can give life and take life. Earthly wisdom says for marriage, anything goes. Man and man, woman and woman, man and computer, man and dog, it doesn't matter. Whoever you love and want to commit your life to, that's what marriage is. God says marriage is between a man and a woman and we have no right to change it. Earthly wisdom says, get revenge. Godly wisdom says, turn the other cheek. Earthly wisdom says, destroy and hate your enemies. Godly wisdom says, love and pray for your enemies. This might, be pop- this might not be popular this morning, but how many of you are praying for Putin to have a change of heart and for God to change his heart? See, this whole issue is a heart issue. There won't be peace until hearts are changed. And that only goes for godly wisdom. Earthly wisdom says, build your life on the world and do what you want. Godly wisdom says, build your life on Christ and do what he wants. Earthly wisdom says, hold a grudge. Godly wisdom says, forgive. Earthly wisdom says, worry. Godly wisdom says, trust. You know where most of these came from? The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 through 7. If you want to know godly wisdom, read what Jesus preached and taught in Matthew 5 through 7. It's full of wisdom. And as you go throughout Scripture, you can see godly people perform or or live out earthly wisdom. Think of Adam and Eve. They had everything perfect. But they chose earthly wisdom over godly wisdom. They chose to eat the forbidden fruit. Why? Because Satan told them, you will be like God and you will know what is good and what is bad. And what did they do? They followed the wisdom of Satan instead of the wisdom of God. And because of one choice, everything changed for eternity. I think of Lot and Abraham. Abraham told Lot, choose where you want to pitch your tent and I'll go the other way. Where did Lot choose to pitch his tent? He chose to pitch his tent towards Sodom. Why? Because the pasture land was great. It was lush. But what happened? He not just pitched his tent towards Sodom. He was drawn in to Sodom. And as a result of his choice, he lost everything except his two daughters. And even his wife was turned into a pillar of salt. You see, that was earthly wisdom. The Tower of Babel. 
the world got together and decided to construct this tower to heaven so they could reach God, so they could reach the heavens. And it was to be a symbol of power and self-sufficiency, and they were to make a name for themselves. But what happened? God altered their plans tremendously, changed their languages, and scattered them across the world. You see, they followed earthly wisdom. And that's just in the first few chapters of the book of Genesis because the Bible is full of examples of people who ignored God and chose their own way. And none of these ended well. And if you choose your way instead of God's way, it's not going to end well for you either. You see, earthly wisdom is anything that dishonors God. It's anything that's contrary to God and His ways. Earthly wisdom is self-focused and not God-focused. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. You see, when we depart from God's ways, when we choose to ignore His wisdom, when we choose to pursue our own ways and do our own thing, it creates a mess and it doesn't end well because this is exactly what sin will do. And this is exactly what happened to King Solomon He did receive godly wisdom because he asked for it. But later in life, he turned away from following God's wisdom. He disobeyed God. He even began to worship idols and build temples to false gods. And even though he received God's wisdom, he exchanged it for the world's wisdom and he suffered for it. And in 1 Kings chapter 11, it says that God removed his hand of blessing from Solomon. Why? Because he chose the world's way instead of God's way. Demonic wisdom, worldly wisdom will produce disorder and chaos and every evil practice as the wisdom of the world is directly opposed to the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 3.19 says this, the wisdom of the world is foolishness in God's sight. The wisdom of the world is foolishness in God's sight. Don't buy into or be deceived by the wisdom of the world. Instead, be devoted to the wisdom of God, knowing that, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.25, God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. The third thing I want to share this morning is true wisdom is defined by godly characteristics. Verses 17 and 18, he says, The wisdom from above is pure and peace-loving and gentle and compliant and full of mercy. And good fruits without favoritism and hypocrisy, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. True wisdom is defined by godly characteristics. True wisdom is identified by the quality of life it produces. And our understanding of wisdom is going to have a great impact on how we live our lives. And each of these characteristics that James mentions, it should be evident in our lives. The first one he mentions is pure The word pure means innocence. It means moral blamelessness. And this is the fundamental characteristic of God. Because if God was not pure, if God was not holy in every way, He could not be God. But because God's heart is pure, because God is holy, our heart should be pure as well. And that word to be pure, it means to be sincere, to be genuine, It means to be clean or unmixed. And and two words in Latin that it comes from is sina sera. It means without wax. You see, in the Greek culture, it was uh, primarily used by stonecutters who would carve these 
statues out of marble, and, and either by the hands of the artist or the flaw of the marble itself, there would be imperfection would be found. And what they would do is they would take that wax and they would fill that flaw with wax. And if a person wanted to see if their statue was complete and had no imperfections and was perfect in any way, they would pit that statue out in the sun for a day. If that statue remained complete, if it did not drip, if it did not fall apart, it was said to be Sina Sarah without wax. You see, God desires for our hearts to be Sina Sarah. God desires us to be morally pure, to be morally blameless. In fact, if you go back to James 1.27, this is exactly what James says is true religion. Pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is this, to look after orphans and windows, widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained or blameless by the world. God wants us to be found pure. God wants us to be found blameless. Meaning we have to have pure motives. We have to do what is right for the right reason. We have to withstand the times of testing and temptation. We are to live as people of integrity and we are to strive to be holy and perfect as God is holy and perfect. We are to be selfless and not selfish. And for those whose hearts are pure, there is a reward. Matthew 5, 8, Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. You see, if our hearts are pure, we will continually see God as He is because you can't see God as He is if your heart is not pure like God. We will desire to be like Him. You can't be like Him if your heart is not pure. And others will see Him in us. But others can't see Him in you if your heart is not pure before Him. The second characteristic James describes is peace-loving. We should desire to bring peace to every situation we face because we have the ability to bring peace to a situation by the way that we act. Or we can choose to escalate the situation by the way that we act. We can either choose to diffuse it or ignite it. As some people have said, you can either choose to carry a bucket of water or a can of gasoline. And oftentimes, because of our own selfishness, because of our own words, because of our own actions, we escalate conflicts instead of trying to resolve them peacefully. Because we see who can get the last word in. We like to see who can be the loudest. We like to push people's buttons. And this does nothing but make things worse and shows that we lack the wisdom of God. And we need to remember that Jesus is the ultimate source of peace. In fact, Isaiah 9, 6 calls him the Prince of Peace. And since Jesus is the source of peace through the Holy Spirit, is living within us, and we are to imitate him, then we need to be a source of peace as well. We need to love peace instead of conflict, instead of drama. And Satan would love nothing more than for your life to be full of conflict. Satan would love for nothing more to be, for your home to be in chaos. He would love for nothing more than for churches to be in chaos. He would love nothing more than for your relationships to be chaotic. And look what happened in James 4, 1 through 3. A perfect situation of a Christian community who was supposed to be at peace but was not. James says, what is the source of the wars and the fights among you? Don't they come from the cravings or at war within you? 
You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and you war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly so that you may spend it on your desires for pleasure. You see, to those whom James is writing, they're Christians. And James notices, he says, look, there's an absence of peace among you. He's saying your community is known for your quarrels and known for your arguments instead of Christ. And the struggles that are taking place, they're a result of jealousy. They're a result of envious desires to get what they do not have at the expense of others. And James is warning them if they do not get these sinful, combative desires under control, then the danger of actual violence is real. And he says, you don't have what you need because you have the wrong motives. You're asking for the wrong reason. You're being selfish. You want to fulfill your desires instead of God's desires. And the reason they did not have peace is because they did not ask for wisdom from God. You see, James provides some great insight to human behavior. When we think about arguments, when we think about violence, when we think about wars and why they exist, I believe it can be traced back to wrongful desire, that wanting more than, than we have, being envious or, or coveting whatever others have, wanting our way and doing whatever it takes to ensure it happens. And the quarrels and the fighting, the bickering that James is referring to, they've ha- often given the Christian church a black eye. Because many churches have broken apart. Many churches have undergone stress. Many churches and even denominations have, have, have fought among themselves and closed their doors because conflict reigned instead of peace. You see, it's okay to disagree. But not to the point that we affect the unity of the church. We should never come to the point of disagreeing that we can affect the unity of the church. That's the worst thing we can do as believers is to fight and bicker and quarrel among ourselves. Because you know what's going to happen? We're going to be known for our fighting instead of loving Jesus. Oftentimes, when the Southern Baptist Convention is in the press, it's not for doing good things. It's for the fighting and the bickering and the quarrels. You see, the world loves to see us fight. Because you know what it shows when we fight that we lack the wisdom of God and the peace of God. So I want to challenge us as a church not to get to the point where we're bickering and fighting and quarreling where it affects the unity of the, of the church and, and destroys the effectiveness of the gospel. You know, it's also true in our families. This issue of fighting and bickering and quarreling can disrupt our families and destroy our relationships. And James says this should not be in the life of a believer. Someone said to keep a marriage brimming with love in the loving cup, whenever you're wrong, admit it. Whenever you're right, shut up. Amen. (laughs) You know, that's a great piece of wisdom on how to maintain peace in a marriage. But it's also great wisdom on how to maintain peace in any relationship. 1 Corinthians 14.33, Paul writes, God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. You see, the disorder that breaks out in our churches and our families happens because people are pursuing their own selfish desires. 
rather than the good of others. And why? Because when God is left out of the picture, bad things happen. And if we truly are children of God, we will not seek division. We will not seek or enjoy conflict, but we will desire to restore order and stability and seek peace. And we will desire to live at peace with each other and with God. And in verse 18, James shows us what happens when we are peacemakers. He says, the, the fruit of righteousness is sown by peace by those who make peace. The outcome of peacemaking is a harvest that is righteousness, meaning it's conduct that is pleasing to God. And this can only occur occur when our hearts are pure and can only grow and flourish in an atmosphere of peace. You can't sow a harvest of righteousness in an atmosphere of conflict. You can only just show godly conduct and display peace in an atmosphere that lacks conflict. Matthew 5, 9 says this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. If you want to display godly wisdom, if you want to be the person God wants you to be, be a peacemaker and not a troublemaker. The next uh, characteristic James describes about godly wisdom, he says it needs to be gentle. That word gentle is the same word he used earlier up in verse 13 and 14. And again, God's wisdom, he means is gentle. It's considered its willingness to, to yield to others. Gentle, again, does not mean that we are timid or weak. It means power under control. And it's a picture of a wild horse, as I said before, that's been broken and tamed by the master. The power's still there. It's just now under the control of the master. And to be gentle, it's not getting angry or defensive, even when provoked. Is being patient with others. It's taking into account the decisions that we make affects the lives of those around us. It's not forcing ourselves upon anyone. It's respecting the decisions of others. Instead of seeking revenge, it, it repays hurt with kindness. You see, to have the wisdom of God is to follow the example of Jesus by being gentle with others. And this can only come from a pure heart. And this will bring peace. Matthew 5, 5, another beatitude. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. When we are meek, when we are gentle, we will forever receive the blessings of God as we let him control our life. James also says God's wisdom should be compliant. That word compliant means easily persuaded. It doesn't mean we're to be gullible. It doesn't mean we're to believe everything we hear. It was used of a man who willingly submitted to military discipline, accepting and complying with whatever was demanded of him. It's used of a person who faithfully observes legal and moral and biblical standards. A man explained how he and his wife learned to resolve their differences. This was his answer. He said, my wife and I have a perfect understanding. I don't try to run her life and I don't try to run mine. That's a little overboard about being compliant and submissive, but, but the concept is there. The concept is this. We are not to tell God what to do, nor are we to run our own lives. We are to submit to him. We are to comply with his will, with his purpose, and his plan for our lives. And in submitting to God, Ephesians 5.20, Paul said, we are to submit to one another. 
Meaning we are to be trusting of each other. We are to be willing to yield to each other when truth is not compromised. Meaning we are willing to be taught. We are willing to listen to what others have to say without attacking them. Meaning we do not think that our way is the only way. To be submissive is mean, means a willingness to die to our own passions, to our own desires. And to live for God and not our, of ourselves. And to put the interest of others ahead of our own. But the only way that we can submit to each other is if each of us is submitted to God. And when we submit to God, our words and our actions will reflect the heart of God. Another characteristic he said of God's wisdom, it's full of mercy and good fruit. What James is saying is true wisdom produces godliness in us. And the word mercy, it means that we do not give what we are deserved. Mercy means it does not become blind to an offense, but has the ability to see through it. It's the idea of displaying the love of Christ. And I think the greatest example of mercy, or one of the greatest examples of mercy in Scripture, is the story of the great Samaritan. I don't have time to read it, but if you go back to Luke chapter 10 and verses 30 to 37, there was a man who was on the way from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he was robbed and beaten and, and thrown to the side of the road. And then a Levi and a priest came by and said they didn't have time and, and ignored the man, even walked on the other side of the road. But a Samaritan who the Jews despised came by. And he gave attention to the man. He had compassion for the man. He took care of the man, even took him to an inn to be taken care of for the night and said, I'll cover all his expenses. You see, that good Samaritan, he showed mercy. He showed compassion. And when we display mercy in our lives, it produces fruit. When we display mercy, it shows that we have love for others. It shows that we have compassion. And compassion is love in action. And Jesus says that we are to be known by our love and our compassion for others. That we should be willing to treat others as God treats us. That we should love others unconditionally and sacrificially and forgive those who have wronged us and help others in any way that we can. You know what mercy and good fruit is? It's simply being Jesus to others. Being Jesus to others. And when we are Jesus to others, we display the wisdom of God. The last thing that James says about God's wisdom is it should be without hypocrisy and favoritism. Hypocrisy comes from the Greek word hypocrites. And it was used to describe actors in a play because ancient actors, they would carry different masks in their hands as they acted. And the, and the masks were attached to sticks and could be held before the face as needed. And a smiling face would suggest humor and a frowning mask would suggest sadness and etc. And these actors were called the hypocritos, meaning one who wears a mask. There was a man that sat through a church service, and on the way home, he complained about the sermon. He complained about the traffic. He complained about how hot it was. He complained about the lateness of the meal. There was nothing that he didn't complain about. But his son was observing how he acted after church, and as they were about to eat, the dad prayed for the meal. And just as they were about to pass the food, the son said, Daddy, did God hear you when we left church and you started complaining about the sermon and the heat and the traffic? The dad, not thinking much of it, said, Well, yes, son, of course God heard me. 
The son said, well, daddy, did God hear you when you just prayed for the food right now? The dad said, well, yes, son, he heard me. The son replied, so daddy, which one did God believe? Which one did God believe? You see, that little story showcases a problem that far too many believers have. Too often what many Christians claim to be and what they show they are are not the same. And that's where the word hypocrites comes from. Just like the actors who change masks depending on the situation. And one who is a hypocrite, one who says they're one thing but act another, James says in James 1.8, is double-minded. Meaning they're trying to serve two masters. They want the world and they want God at the same time. And this is exactly the problem that Jesus had with the Pharisees. Matthew 23, 27 to 28. Jesus says to the Pharisees, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything of clean. In the same way on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness you see we need to be sincere about our faith we need to be all in in our relationship with God and if we say we are a Christian we need to act like a Christian if we say we're a Christian we need to act like a Christian otherwise we do more harm than good to the gospel of Jesus Christ James says we also need to be impartial. He said not only do we not to be people of hypocrisy, we need to be authentic and we need to be genuine and we need to be real in our faith. He said we need to be impartial. That word impartial means unbiased. means we're not to play favorites, that we're to treat everyone the same, which James talks about in James 2, 1 through 8. And because God is not a God of partiality, because God treats everyone equally, because God loves everyone the same, so should we. And as followers of Christ, if we want to demonstrate God's wisdom in our lives, then we need to always be consistent in our behavior. And our actions and our words need to match our faith, and we need to quit putting on a mask. What we say we are is who we really should be. If you call yourself a Christian, be a Christian. And that is displaying the wisdom of God. Proverbs 16, 16 says, How much better to get wisdom than gold. And to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. You see, we should desire the wisdom of God more than anything else. How do we get wisdom? Very quickly, four ways, then I'm done. You ask for it. All you have to do is ask God for wisdom, and he gives it to it. James 1 says, says, If any of you lack wisdom, he should ask God. All you have to do is ask God. Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be opened. Someone said, If you lack, wisdom, if you lack knowledge, go to school. If you lack wisdom, get on your knees. 
If you don't know what to do in a situation and you need God's wisdom, the best thing you can do is ask Him and get on your knees. Another way we find wisdom is by being in God's Word. You can't have the wisdom of God if you don't know the Word of God. Psalm 119, 105, it says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. If you want guidance throughout your life, it can only come from the word of God. Psalm 119, 130 says this, The unfolding of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. The third way, we need to be careful with whom we choose to do life with. We need to watch the people we hang around. Proverbs 13, 20 says, Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Someone said this, and I don't know who said it, but I think it's great. It says, Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Who you do life with is who you become. The last way to gain wisdom is to listen to and follow the Holy Spirit. Listen to the Holy Spirit, but then follow the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit's not going to mislead you from God's wisdom. The Holy Spirit's going to lead you into God's wisdom. And John 16, 13 says this, When He, meaning the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. Jesus didn't say some of the truth. Jesus said He will guide you into all the truth. So how can you get wisdom? Ask for it. Be in God's word. Be careful with whom you choose to do life with and listen to and follow the Holy Spirit. If I were to ask you what James asked his readers in James 3.13, how he started off this section, who is wise and understanding among you? I wonder how many of us this morning could come forward based on what was shared and said, yes, I am one who is wise. I wonder how many of us could say, as James asked, who can say you have true wisdom? In order for us to say that's me, the wisdom of God must be evident in our lives. The wisdom of God must be revealed in our works and our conduct. The wisdom of God must be evident in our words and our actions. And our hearts must be pure. And our behavior must be godly. But none of us can say that's me if we live by the wisdom of the world. None of us can say that's me if your life is self-focused and not God-focused. None of us can say that's me if your actions and your words do not match your belief. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7 says, Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. And verse 7 says this. Sometimes we leave off verse 7. But it says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. So I want to challenge you this morning to live as one who is truly wise. To live as one who's seeking the wisdom of God and rejecting the wisdom of the world. To live as one who's trusting God and not yourself. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning and just thank you so much for your word. And Father, I just pray that each of us this morning would examine 
our own hearts, our own lives. And Father, I wonder how many could say, yes, I am wise. Yes, I'm living my life by the wisdom of God. But Father, I pray many more of us could say, I'm not as wise as I thought. My life is not God-focused. My life is self-focused. My words, my actions are not matching my beliefs. And Father, I pray if that describes those of us that are here this morning, God, I pray that we would get on our knees and say, God, forgive me. And then I pray, Father, that we would say, God, give me your wisdom to live my life in a way that brings glory and honor and praise to you. God, may our hearts be pure. And God, may each of us desire to demonstrate godly wisdom in our lives. Understanding that earthly wisdom is going to lead us down a path of destruction. And Father, I pray this morning if there's someone here who does not know you. God, I pray today they would say, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to make him the master of my life. I want to be under his control. I want to start seeking God instead of the world. Father, maybe there are those that just need to come to this altar and pray this morning. Maybe they just need to recommit their lives to you. Father, whatever decision that needs to be made, Father, I pray that people would respond in obedience to you and make that decision. Father, thank you for meeting us here this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your truth. Thank you, God, for true wisdom. And it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ. I want to tell you, you can't live by the wisdom of God unless you know God. Maybe you're walking through life pretending you are a Christian, but you've never given your life to Christ. Maybe you need to come forward and say, I want today to truly give my life to Jesus. Or maybe you're here this morning, you put your faith in Christ, but you know you're not living for Christ. That you're choosing to follow the world's wisdom instead of God's wisdom. That your life and your faith is not characterized by purity and peace, but by bitter envy and selfish ambition. Maybe this morning there's a disconnect between your words and your actions and your beliefs. Maybe your life is self-focused instead of God-focused. And maybe this morning you need to come and just say, God, I'm sorry. God, I want to give my life back to you, recommit my life to you, because I want to live by your wisdom, and I want my life to be focused on you and not myself. Or maybe this morning you need to to join our church. Maybe God's leading you to become part of our faith family. We'd love for you to join Red House Baptist Church. Or maybe you need to follow the Lord and believers' baptism. You've given your life to Christ, but you need to be baptized. Or whatever decision you need to make, make it this morning. Make it before you leave this service. I'll be down at the front if you want to talk to me or pray with me. But let's stand as we sing and commit this time to the Lord and reflect on what God has spoken to us. Oh.